1: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com/slash recommend today.
0: 737-1287. Southern New England Sports Original. 1037. W-E-E-I.
1: We're trying to groove tonight, but if you want to groove with us, the, right, the real number is 401 777 1037. Don't listen to voiceover, guy. He's wrong as usual. It's 401 777 1037. Give us a call if you've been watching The Dynasty. If you like what you've seen, if you hate what you've seen. So far, Scott and I have kind of expressed that we kind of hate what we've seen so far. But, well, yeah, well, go ahead.
0: I, 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 hate might be strong. I, I, I just, Frustrated? I don't love the way that Bill's being painted. I just think that this is a Bob Kraft production to try to make ownership look good and make Belichick the fall guy. But I did remember what I lost my train of thought over. Okay. You mentioned the word Ernie Adams, and that kind of triggered something for me. You are a 1,000% correct that, you know, the Ernie Adams stuff is really good, and him saying that he'll take those secrets on Spygate to the grave is just like, I think, if that's not an admission of guilt, I don't know (laughs) what is. (laughs) But, you know, you know, Belichick, part of what makes Belichick a great coach is he's looking for every conceivable way to get an edge over the opponent. And the evil genius behind all of that was Ernie Adams. I mean, nobody helped him come up with those edges like Ernie Adams. So um, that's, that was point number one, point number two. And and I hate to go back to this because I've belabored this point since Spygate unfolded back in 2007. Mm -hmm. But the fact is, I will always defend Bill Belichick and the Patriots or Spygate for one reason and one reason only, and that is the way that the league worded the rule, Belichick found the loophole in that rule, okay? So the rule, when they got caught filming the Jets in the season opener in 2007, the way the rule in the memo from the league office that was sent to all teams was you're not allowed to film your opponent's sidelines and their coaches' signals you know, from anywhere in the stadium, blah, 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 for use in that game. Mm-hmm. That was the end of the sentence, for use in that game. So to me, Bill Belichick saying, well, fine, we're filming from these locations in the stadium. We are pointing in that our opponent's sidelines and filming their signals, but we're not using them for this game. We're using them for future matchups. So the NFL, after the Patriots were caught, had to resend out a memo to all of the NFL teams changing that wording and taking out for use in that game. I think Bill Belichick found a loophole, which is why he was still doing it so brazenly. That's my opinion.
1: You're probably right. But there was one thing that Ernie Adams did say in there that kind of flies against it. And it might just have been... The way he said it, and it's you know nearly twenty years later, whatever it was, but he did mention about having a direct line of communication down to Bill.
0: Yeah, that was damning to me.
1: So that could be really, truly why is you weren't really circumvent, but until we found out that Ernie was talking directly to Bill in the game, that might be what kind of spurred it, and they just kind of left that out. I don't know.
0: Okay, but but what um, but my my point on that it would be this. For for Ernie Adams to be able to react that quickly, to see the Jet signals and say, Okay, this is what they're calling on defense, be prepared for this, he would have had to have already seen tape of those signals from a previous game sure. to be able to decipher it. So that's my whole point. Yes, Belichick was still filming the signals, but he was using that information for future matchups. So they already had jet signals on film. And that's why Adams could make, you know, convey that quick knowledge down to Bill through the headset. Fair. But it's also could be why they're
1: saying you're doing it in game as well, because, yes, we've had it before and now we're doing it again. We're seeing whatever. I don't want to truly litigate uh, Spygate over and over again because it's been done And in a couple of weeks when we have to deal with Deflategate all over again. We'll go back to that, too. Um, Can I give you another small takeaway? Right. Yeah, I go ahead. Another
0: small takeaway from, from episode four? Yeah. So, obviously, the 2007 season was the run of perfection, and it was ruined by the Giants in Super Bowl 42, right? So, having to relive that painful memory sucked because, <laughs> man, that team, they just were galvanized after Spygate, and they didn't just beat teams, they beat the crap out of teams, yeah. right? So, it, it, I mean, they were so close to perfection and immortality in the greatest season in NFL history, and they didn't make it. But, and again, I, I bet you there's not too many Patriots fans that will take this away from, from that episode. Seeing how together that team was and how much they celebrated every win and relished every victory, I forget which win it was. It may have been the AFC Championship game. And they're showing the players celebrating on the field. And who is front and center on my TV screen as I'm watching this? Asante Samuel. <laughs> and, no, and I, and I bring that up for this reason. Asante Samuel could not have been more happy to be a Patriot and a part of that great season, that historic season, and this dynastic franchise right in the early 2000s. And yet the way he's acted since he's left here, has just been, in my opinion, childish. Sure. And, and to me, I think it's, it's two things and two things only. And unfortunately, Asante's not man enough to handle it like some other guys. Number one, he resents the fact that Bill Belichick decided to not give him his big payday and move on for him. But, look, he's not the first guy that Bill Belichick did that to. Bill Belichick did that to many players, right? And most of those guys still look back at their Patriots career with Bill Belichick and say, wow, it was the best experience of my life. But not him. He was angry that Belichick didn't pay him. He had to go to Philadelphia to get his payday. Number two, I still think to this day he probably resents the fact that a lot of Patriot fans hold him responsible for not coming up with that interception to help seal the Super Bowl, Right. Right. They look at him and say, if Asante Samuel makes that interception, game over. So, like, you know, it, it, just, it just brought back some memories of Asante Samuel. It's like, you hypocrite. You know, you were so happy to be a part of this franchise, and now all you do is crap on Belichick and the Patriots. But, you know what I mean, he just can't – he's not big enough to admit it. Yeah, it,
1: while they're going through that 07 season and it's all Brady and Moss, I was – as much as I love seeing those clips and I love hearing Randy Moss talk about pretty much anything – He's fascinating. I'm sitting there going, "Oh, did you guys forget about Wes Welker, the guy who led the league in receptions that year? Came in, caught 112 passes, ripped off nearly 1,200 yards receiving and eight touchdowns. Like, did you forget that guy existed? Like, I don't need Dante Stalworth there. He was the third guy, right? Like, you probably couldn't get Welker for whatever reason to I, sit down I, and talk. I don't know, but we're glossing over too many very important things that happened on the field. Sure." And it's frustrating. Now, we've kind of gone through things that we, we really don't like or frustrated by. Are there things that you've looked at and been like, ah, man, this is great. This is one of the best things I've seen. I haven't seen this part of it before. Obviously, there are any Adam stuff. But is there anything else that you've looked at and go, this is really interesting. This is really well done. You know, I'm glad I got to see this.
0: Well, the, the stuff that I like is the player in coaches' interviews. Like, Belichick's not giving you anything, but like Parcells' comments, you know, taking a shot of Kraft, I loved, mm-hmm. and I I love the player interviews. Like I agree with you, Dante Stalworth doesn't do much for me, but like Ty Law's been really good in this, you know. Lawyer Malloy's been okay, um, you know. Teddy Brewski's been pretty good. I, I like hearing what they had to say, and like you know, Brewski talking about how, you know, the, the the pressure. Like you know, it's almost like you're no longer enjoying the wins like you know what i mean it's like i i i like what i hear from the players that that honest commentary from then to kind of add insight to that whole run that's what i like the most about the documentary
1: yeah it, it's been good so I've, I've liked seeing bledsoe talk more just always been a fan of bledsoe and he got somewhat of a raw deal but it wasn't that big of a deal it's not like they took his money away
0: Ben, did you were you did you cover the Patriots when he was around? You're probably a little too young. For that,
1: I was right? a hair too young for that. I was graduating high school.
0: Classy guy. Like, say what you want about him, and I know uh, on the other station earlier this week they were crapping all over him because I guess like his last 26 games in a Patriots uniform, his numbers are comparable to Mac Jones' last 26 games. Like they're almost identical. I don't care. I I I I don't quite put him in the Bill Parcells category, but. He, along with Parcells, helped turn the fortunes of this franchise around. He made New England love the Patriots and football again. And he handled his or his benching or his not getting his starting job back with absolute class. So I'm a big Drew Bledsoe fan personally as a human being. He's a great guy. Uh, there's no doubt Belichick made the right move in retrospect sticking with Brady, but for people that want to crap on Drew Bledsoe, no, I'm not going to be one of them.
1: No, love Bledsoe. He's been nothing but a class act. Every time I've had to deal with him, ask him for an interview, ask him to do something for a charity event, he's been always, like, gets back to me right away. He's very pleasant, very courteous to deal with. He's he's awesome. I absolutely love Bledsoe. I will always love Bledsoe and what he brought to the Patriots because you're right. Yeah, Yes, uh, Parcells is probably the biggest reason for that, but number two is Bledsoe. Right there. Number two is Bledsoe and how fun those teams were for a little while. It got frustrating, but those teams turned the Patriots into kind of a perennial contender to a certain extent. Like, yes, they made it to a Super Bowl and they lost. It was frustrating. But without Parcells and without Bledsoe, you were still the dumpster fire of the NFL. They were the dumpster fire. Yeah, It was an awful, awful organization. A terrible stadium, possibly moving to St. Louis, possibly moving to Hartford. Now, that's Kraft, and that was Kraft playing the game of trying to get, you know, the taxpayers to pay the pay the bill up here. But without Parcells and without Bledsoe, you probably don't get the rest of this stuff.
0: So one other thing I learned, too, and this came from Bob Kraft during the documentary, was I knew when Orthwine sold the team to Kraft that Kraft had him over a bower because he owned – the stadium and the concessions and the parking lots and the land around the stadium, so like it wasn't a, a good deal for orthwine to remain a part of like he almost he forced orthwine 's hand to sell it to him. He had no other choice but Kraft said, I think during the interview, like ten or eleven people tried to buy the team, but none they all backed away because of the fact that Kraft owned the stadium and Kraft owned the land around the stadium so i didn't realize that there was that much interest in buying the Patriots. Uh, outside of Bob Kraft,
1: yeah, I didn't know. I had heard of one or two in the past, but I never heard of like ten. Uh, and I don't disbelieve it. I'm sure it was the case. I mean, it was a franchise in the NFL. There's people always trying to buy sports franchises, even if they're, you know, the bottom of the barrel of the league. People still want to buy them and get in because they know it's a good investment, even with a bad team. Yeah. But you know, that helps highlight how good of a businessman Bob Kraft is. So sometimes we look at Kraft and. Comes off like a doddering old fool. He's not that. He is certainly not that. He is a very shrewd, smart, capable businessman, and you've kind of seen that over the years. And does it frustrate people? Sure, it's frustrated, you know, players. It's frustrated the media. It's frustrated a lot of us around the, around these parts when the business side of it seems to care or ha- carry more weight than, you know, what's on the field and whatever. But overall, like it is fun to watch some of these players talk about these moments, have Teddy Brewski, you know, in an unfiltered way. Because if you go back and watch the America's games, it's very, you know, careful how these guys are talking. No one's swearing. You can kind of feel like everything's couched to a certain uh, certain extent. But now when you watch this, you know, F-bombs are flying. S-words are flying everywhere. And I, I just like it because it's showing more of a human side of some of these guys that we never really got before. So that's the element that I like, and I want way more of that. And if you can go back and edit before the last couple of ones are done, give me parts of that 21-game win streak. Give me, you know, highlights, unique angles, perspectives from Super Bowl 38, from Super Bowl 39. Those are fascinating.
0: I've always liked Randy Moss, too, and I've always felt bad that he didn't get a championship here in New England. I feel even more so that way after listening to his heartfelt comments. Like, he was 100% invested in winning a championship here, and he blames himself for not making that catch at the end of Super Bowl 42. If you go back and watch it, though... Right, It did hit him on the fingertips, and yeah. any receiver will tell you, a ball hits me in the hands, I've got to catch it. But it was tipped before it hit his hands, right? Mm-hmm. So it changed directions ever so slightly, and at full speed, that's the difference between a catch and a drop. Like, if that ball wasn't tipped, Randy Moss does make that catch if it hits at hands. It hit his fingertips, but only after it was deflected by a giant defensive back. So I don't blame him for not catching that at all, but obviously he, the competitor in him, he, he – probably to this day regrets that play and will always think about not making that catch for the rest of his life
1: he should (laughs) i mean he should i disagree i mean well no he he should kind of feel that like as an athlete you feel like in that biggest moment you kind of let people you should kind of hold on to that and maybe that helps spur you in other avenues of your life you shouldn't just wash it away i don't think but it, it, it was a little bit of heartbreak, and then you. the next clip you see is Dante Stallworth talking, and then he all of a sudden can't talk anymore. I was like, I don't care, Dante Stallworth. Right. Get out of here. He was
0: such a bit player.
1: But that moment that you're talking about there also kind of, I think, highlighted something that fans need to understand. Sometimes we don't get, and, and even media members who cover the team. Tom or Randy's talking about how Tom gave gives him the look. To basically change what he's doing. I want you to cross the field as opposed to go whatever he was supposed to do there. A flag or a post. Whatever it was. But he wanted him crossing the field. And it highlights that there's so many times when we look at a play and be like, he wasn't in the right spot. We don't know. We don't know. You can watch the all-22s all you want. But unless you're in that huddle and what was said between them, you don't know. You don't know what was supposed to happen there.
0: Can I ask you a question? Who do you as a Patriots fan blame if you had to put the blame on one person or one area who do you blame for not winning Super Bowl 42 and not finishing off the perfect season John Tomasi really
1: no <laughs> no I don't blame him at all I don't really blame him but no, I mean, I, he no, got burned in mean,
0: his article that came out the week before the Super Bowl leading up that they taped the Rams walkthrough. I mean that was definitely a distraction but no seriously when you look back at that game who do you blame
1: ultimately I guess I would blame either Belichick or the offensive line.
0: Uh, okay, so you're, you're with me. I blame the offense. Like, I know the defense was on the field with a chance to make a stop to win the Super Bowl. And, of course, we know what happened with the David Tyree catch. And they did give up the, the go-ahead score in the final minute. I don't blame the defense. You know, I, I, the, you, you held the team to 17 points. You should be able to win a Super Bowl. But that offense needed to score more than 14 points, and they didn't. Now, if you want to say the offensive line, I agree with you. They, they couldn't protect Brady. I mean, and the Giants were getting constant pressure on him without having to blitz. Right? They were just sending four guys, and they were still getting pressure on him every snap. So I agree with you. Like, I look back at that, and I say the reason the Patriots didn't pa- pa- finish off that perfect season, the offense let them down in that game.
1: Yeah, and then Bruschi had an interesting moment where he's talking about that, and he's talking about how we've been on the other side of this. This is like us against the Rams in Super yeah. Bowl 36. Yeah, We kind of know how this plays out because we've seen it from the other side. And, you know, part of you goes, well, then you should have really known how to kind of respond to that. But, no, I'm not going to blame the defense. I'm not going to blame Bruschi. I'm not going to blame Harrison. I'm not going to blame – who's the one that had Eli in his grasp? I can't remember which defensive line had him in his grasp on that same play. Ah, uh,
0: that may have been Seymour. Was and Virgil
1: Green, too. It was Green? Oh, Jarvis
0: Green? Jarvis Green?
1: Yeah. Jarvis Green, That's yeah. right. It was Jarvis Green. Very good. I don't blame him. I blame the offensive line, ultimately, because they couldn't do a good enough job protecting Tom Brady. You know, the one thing you knew was the Achilles hero of most quarterbacks is if they face a ton of pressure, it's going to get really, really difficult for them. And he was facing pressure every single play. So... If I have to look at at least one core area, it, it's going to be the offensive line, and you can extrapolate that further to the offense as a whole. Yeah. Maybe they weren't running it enough. I do, I've never gone back to watch that Super Bowl. I never will go back to the, watch that entire Super Bowl.
0: It still haunts me.
1: Yeah, it's, it should. It was brutal. They were 18-0. and 0. They were slaughtering teams along the way. They had previously beaten that Giants team in Week 17, and it wasn't a great team. That wasn't a great team, but they played better than you that day. So there's not much else you can say. Belichick was right. They outcoached him and they outplayed him that day. Uh, let's jump to the phone calls real quick before we go to the break. JP is in Rhode Island. JP, what do you got for us today?
2: CNC, good morning. It's KNC, but okay. Are, so I'm old enough to remember Scott. You know that. Yep. Yeah. If you were in a bar fight, you took Drew Bledsoe with you. If you were going to the Met Gala, you took Tom Brady with you. (laughs) Bledsoe took hits. To this day, he would get killed and get up and keep going. And people kind of forget that little touchdown pass off the bench against Pittsburgh in the playoffs. Cold, got in, boom, done. So back then, people did think he got a raw deal. It was gutsy for Belichick to make that move. But could you imagine what Drew Bledsoe would get today if he was in the draft? Let's see. Big quarterback, strong arm, tough as nails. Sounds like one of the quarterbacks we're talking about right now, just not mobile. So don't forget Bledsoe. I think he'll be remembered that way as a guy that the rest of the players liked. Yes, people liked Brady, but Bledsoe was a different character. Some of the hits that you never saw before. I wish we could draft him right now. So does everybody else. And he's always kept, you don't hear anything out of him. Class all the way. And a shout out, who won't be in that movie, the greatest patriot of all time, John Hannah. Hall of Fame already.
1: Okay, I don't know why Hannah would be in there not anyway part of the dynasty retired in what like 87 no i mean like, I, lo-
0: I love john hogg hannah but yeah no but but his point on blood so is a good one I, I look i love drew as you and i pointed out he, he classy guy on and off the field and and i look at him as a lifelong patriot fans who suffered through the lean years he to me was a cornerstone which they built the dynasty on right because he helped turn the fortunes of the franchise around. He took him. Would people forget? He took him to Super Bowl thirty-one. Yeah, they lost to the Packers, but like, the Patriots were a laughable franchise before he was drafted number one by Bill Parcells in nineteen ninety-three. Yeah, I
1: just. The other thing I they spend a lot of time on the decision to move away from Bledsoe to Brady, and I'm sitting there going, and I'm a little bit of a historian when it comes to the NFL, and go. I mean, it's not completely unprecedented. It's not like we haven't had quarterback controversies in the past or, you know, a well-established starter getting benched for a new guy. Like, we've seen these type of things happen in the past. It's not completely like, oh, my God, this has never happened. You've never seen, you know, the number one overall draft pick quarterback all of a sudden being moved to the bench for this new kind of quasi-hot shot. We've seen it. It happened with the Steelers in the 70s. Yep. You You know, Terry Bradshaw goes on to win four Super Bowls, but I think in that first year, or maybe it was the second Super Bowl year, he got benched for Joe Gilliam for like six or eight games. Right. And then he had to come back in and he was the man. And he was the number one overall draft pick like five or six years before that. So it's not completely unprecedented. It wasn't like it's like this is the biggest ballsy move in the entire history of the NFL. It was a ballsy move, but <clears throat> I think it was a little overstated.
0: Now I agree. I agree with you.
1: All right. Well, good. Then we don't have to talk I, I, about but, that anymore. But
0: no, but but I I think, I I do think that that was a big story, and 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 there were fans and media members on both sides of the argument. Yeah, there were a lot of people that thought they should have gone back to Blitso because. You know, we we now remember Tom Brady as this prolific passing quarterback. In 2001, he wasn't that guy. No. He was, by every definition, a game manager. He was asked not to screw up the game and make plays when he needed to. And, you know, I think coming off that loss to the Rams at the regular season loss where he had thrown a couple of interceptions, I think a lot of Patriot fans thought maybe that might be the time to go back to Drew Bledsoe, and that's when Belichick's announced Brady as a starter for the rest of the year, and oh, by the way, all they did was win their remaining six regular season games and three playoff games, and then of course, Pittsburgh, the AFC championship game, he injures his ankle, Drew comes off the bench, leads them to the win over the Steelers, and you know, that was the narrative, too, going into the Super Bowl. Do you want a less than 100% Tom Brady if that ankle's still an issue? Or do you want to go with the known commodity, a healthy Drew Bledsoe? So, it was a big deal. It was a big story. I wonder if – now, he Bledsoe had,
1: you know, that, that great touchdown pass to Patton and led him on that drive, but it wasn't like he came in and he was picture perfect for the rest of the way. There was that one drive, but everything after that wasn't very good, and I think people kind of forget about that. And – if I'm Belichick and I'm looking at it and going, man, he's running out to the sideline. Oh, he's going to take the same exact hit that he took that is what knocked him out in week two. Like, I don't know if I can trust this guy moving forward. He took the same exact hit, same play, everything, and got crunched. Then he got up because he was a man, an absolute stud. But, yeah, I, I think it was just all a little overblown. I lived through it. I, you know, a super fan at the time, watching, consuming everything. And then Ernie Adams said the one thing that I think every fan and every media member needs to hear and needs to remember. If you're not in the building, you really don't know. He's right. He's absolutely right. Uh, When we come back, I, I don't think we have any more thoughts about the dynasty. Maybe we'll sprinkle them in a little bit. But I do want to talk about the Patriots moving forward. I want to talk about Bill Belichick moving forward. And I definitely want to give... Give a little flowers to Matthew Slater, who just retired, and he is an all-time legendary patriot. And we'll get, that, get to that next here on Cordishy and Kitchen. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds.